Just like that, it's episode 50 of Hockey with Hiltzy. I'd like to apologize for my loss of voice as I was at the World Junior the night prior to recording this episode. Congratulations to podcast alumni Jakob Brownitz, Oliver Shatney, Connor Bedard, James Boyd, and Kevin Elliott on all being World Junior medalists. Let's get right into the episode. How's it going, everyone? My name is Lucas Halton here from the Hockey with Healthy podcast. Today, I'm proud to have on Sportsnet NHL draft panelist Sam Cosentino. Sam, thank you for joining me today. Haltzy, nice to be on with you. I see you've got a little bit of a career getting started here, so really impressive stuff and uh, looking forward to the conversation. Awesome. Thank you. Now, getting into the podcast, explain your role at Sportsnet to the listeners. So, yeah, it's interesting. Things have changed for me uh, a little bit. Uh, for 17 years, I was the, the CHL analyst, uh, which included a little bit of baseball in the offseason and some lacrosse and then transitioned to just being all hockey uh, in about 2010-11 season. And then when the CHL rights moved to another network, um, I've sort of transitioned into doing more NHL stuff. So my role now is is kind of three or four parts i do some writing for sportsnet.ca i'm a panelist for our wednesday night hockey show Um, i also do usually one or two other days a week on the panel and some of our regional shows Uh, i'm our lead analyst for the for the draft and then i do a bit of color in the booth for some nhl games not a ton of them but the but the odd one so it's really a multi-pronged role that's uh, found me here today do you have a favorite part about your role at Sportsnet that kind of sets it aside from other roles at the company? Well, the variety is really good. I don't think there's a lot of people that, you know, I just got back from the World Junior, so I was more or less the reporter as opposed to the analyst there, yet I was still writing from an analyst perspective and, you know, on some of our some of our other shows. But I, I enjoy the, the live games. I really enjoy being in the booth. Something I got used to in the CHL 14 Memorial Cups and, and top prospects game and the excitement of being live where you just don't know what's going to happen and reacting on the spot is a really cool thing. Um, and that can't really be replicated. I think when you work in the studio or on a panel, things are a little more contrived. You're having meetings about what you want to say and what you want to talk about and what, you, what you're going to do. And it's a little bit more contrived, whereas it's more reactionary when you're in the booth. And I also like being on site. Like I like talking to people. Uh, I, I took a long time to, to build a solid network of people from all three CHL leagues into the USHL, into the college ranks. And, and, you know, a lot of those people have branched out and moved on to the NHL. So, you know, I, I like that part of being on site and just talking to people and learning more about the game, continuing to evolve as a, as an analyst, learn more and more every day. And, uh, I think that's kind of the, the cool part about my job is that it's that it's multi-pronged. But for me, the best part is, is being in the booth. You talked about all the players you got to see, all the players you got to meet, all the people you got to meet. You watched all the draft class come up for quite a long time. This 2023 NHL draft class, tell us what kind of separates this draft class from the pack. It seems to be the depth of the high-end player, and that's kind of what defines a draft because the, the, the odds of a player having a National Hockey League career, which is typically defined by most teams as, as 200 games, decreases exponentially as you go down, even 
in tiers in the first round. But once you get beyond the first round, it's, it's really difficult for that to happen on a regular basis. We see it all the time, but we're not used to seeing the failures that also occur uh, in, in rounds two and beyond. So when you look at this draft class in particular, it's the depth of the high-end guy that extends well into the first round and maybe even into the second round. And that's the part that, 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 that makes it a separator. You have a lot of speedy, skilled forwards. You have a couple of goalies, which is sort of rare these days. You have uh, some defensemen have really started to emerge, especially here after the World Juniors. So you're looking at, you know, a, a broad base of positions. You're looking at a broad base of skill sets, you know, whether it's a, a right shot guy, a guy who's a really good skater, um, you know, someone who shoots the puck extremely well, like Connor Bedard. There's varying skill sets amongst this group. And so, you know, if you have a, an affinity to maybe once you see two players who are similar, but as a general manager, you have an affinity to one skill set, I think you have the option in this draft to, to lean that way should you choose to do that uh, because of the depth of talent. What makes players go from a good player to an elite player and stand out in a draft setting? Well, for me, I think a lot about the character of, of the player. What's the background look like? Where do they play their minor hockey, their junior hockey? Who are they billeting with? What's the trainer say about them? What did the parents do? What do the parents do for work? What's the family support look like? What is the player like uh, in terms of his body language on and off the ice? Because I think when you're looking at the high-end player, there's not a whole lot that separates them. Their skill sets might be different, but their ability to have a, a prolonged NHL career, there's not a whole lot difference in the overall skill set um so what what is it that's going to carry you to to taking it to the next level to being elite and for me i believe that to be character so i want to know that i'm getting a person who's going to work hard at his craft who's never satisfied with where he is in his craft is consistently seeking out new ways in which to improve be it nutrition off ice rest and recovery um the mental health game uh, or on ice skills, be it, you know, improving at skating or your hands or, you know, there's a number of things, your shot, all of these different things. I want a person who I know is dedicated to their craft of being a professional in all facets. And I think character is the thing that allows someone to do that. So for me, that's the great separator. If I see a really good player and I know that player has is of great standing character, then I believe that that player can excel beyond maybe even be what his capabilities are. Obviously, there's going to be the spotlight names going into each draft. But after this World Juniors, is there kind of players kind of in total that maybe people aren't talking about going into this upcoming draft that should get more spotlight? Yeah, so I think we're pretty familiar with the, with the big three guys. I mean, I think Connor Bedard separated himself from that group, and then you've Adam Fantilli and Leo Carlson after that uh, of Sweden. But when you do a little bit of a deeper dive, uh, there's three guys that really stuck out to me in particular. Edward Schala, who we saw play with Czechia uh, yep. in the gold medal game, is really, really impressive. His ability to make plays is like, it's it's unbelievable. But the thing is, he, he has the ability to score. So... For example, I had the opportunity to watch him play at the Holinka Gretzky in the summer in Red Deer. He scored a highlight real goal, literally, for, for that age group, for the ages. Um, but his attention to detail, his play away from the puck defensively, maybe not as responsible. He was a guy who was leaned on in his age group to be that top producing player. I think at this World Juniors, in order to play the minutes he did, you have to be a little bit more responsible. 
So he showed some more of those details in his game. But for me, what makes him so great is ability to make small areas of play under a lot of pressure and do them in a manner in which is the best for that player that he's giving it to, to receive it. So mm-hmm. he could be taking on three guys as he did in the final minute and a half of the gold medal game, separate himself from that little backhand pass right to the middle of the ice, and then later get a scoring chance. So I think he's ha- he's sort of accepted a little bit of a different role playing as an underager at, at the U-20s. Saw the goal scoring in the summer, saw the playmaking at an, a, an elite level at the World Juniors. There's one guy. Dalibor Dvorsky is a guy who most people have had comfortably in their top 10. Well, they didn't put up a ton of points for Slovakia. He too showed that he has details in his game. He's out there in overtime. He's out there in the final minute. He's taking big draws. He's going up against the opposition's best on in most of the games for Slovakia. And you don't see that for an underager too much. So again, another guy who I think in, in the Osvenskan in, in, in Sweden is, is starting to find a stride a little bit offensively. But again, some of the details that maybe were absent in this game previously had to have improved for him to get the kind of minutes he did at the U-20 level. Another guy uh, that I was really impressed with was Max Sturbach, uh, defenseman for uh, for Slovakia. Uh, he and a- Axel Sandin Pelika of Sweden are sort of similar players. I think Sandin Pelika is more of a, a, a great skating puck moving guy who's going to be an effective power play guy and be able to work off the rush. Where Sturbach's a little bit more reserved, a little bit more defensive, more responsible, a little bit less mistake free. So those are two guys that uh, on the back end maybe aren't the biggest defensemen, but jumped up, in my opinion, in the rankings just for their ability to have handled the under-20 level and, again, play in key situations. I mean, Swedes started overtime against the U.S. In, in the in the bronze medal game with both Carlson and Sandine Pelica out there. That says a lot about what their country thinks of, of those uh, underage players. All of this talent built into one draft. Looking at NHL teams, do you think it would be smart for a team to tank? Well, I think that's that's you know that's been an interesting question. And from an organizational perspective, as a general manager and the head scout, you're probably thinking, well, we sort of want that to happen. You'd never say it publicly, of course, but the idea of that happening inside a dressing room is it just doesn't really exist. A general manager can impact to a certain extent what the lineup looks like on a given night, um, but for the most part, you're playing in the National Hockey League. It doesn't matter if you've won two games all year you're going out there to win hockey games. So while conceptually it seems like a pretty good idea um, to, to affect that to actually happening is next to impossible because players in the room don't know where they're going to be. A lot of them don't know where their next contract is going to come from. A lot of them aren't sitting there saying, Oh yeah, we're going to fail here because they may not have a job or they may be playing for their next job. So again, conceptually probably in management, it's, it's a thing on the ice. I don't believe it to be a thing. Tell me your top player from each league in the CHL, the QMJHL, WHL, OHL. Kind of tell me why they stand out from the rest. Yeah, so I think the WHL, uh, Connor Bedard, I think he separated himself with his ability to shoot the puck. So we're going to put him aside. I think uh, the the race in the Western Hockey League is between probably Braden Yeager, Moose Jaw, and, and Zach Benson where Jaeger's more of a, a shooting type of guy who doesn't, who rarely passes up the opportunity to shoot the puck. But goal scoring is the one thing that jumps out for him. For Benson, it's his patience, his poise with the puck, his playmaking ability. So you have two different guys uh, there. When I'm looking at the, the Ontario Hockey League and the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, things seem to be a little bit more, I guess, a little bit more 
uh, jumbled, if you will. So I'm just going to refer to my uh, my draft rankings here and see, you know, a little bit scrambled from what we've uh, seen. So now we're looking at, as we move down the list, probably from the Owen Sound attack, I think Colby Barlow is going to con- contend for being the top guy in the Ontario Hockey League. Really uh, interesting player who I think scored 30 goals as a, as a 16-year-old with Owen Sound. And then he goes to the under-18s of the Halenka tournament, and he's asked to play a bit of a different role. Proves that he can kill penalties, speed, really good away from the puck, a responsible guy, a leader. He brings a, a kind of a unique package to the table. So Barlow's a guy that I'm, I've been impressed with uh, in the Ontario Hockey League. Ethan Goche, is, he's probably the guy out in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. I think he got off to a hot start based on his play, too, at the Halenka Gretzky. Sherbrooke playing on the top line. Good start to the year as the as we got towards December. His play started to tail a little bit, so it'll be interesting to track him and see where he ends up. But when I'm looking at the leagues in general, the Western Hockey League, this is a really strong year. The Ontario yeah. Hockey League, probably an average year. And the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, a down year. Overall in the CHL, it probably balances out across the board. But the WHL, I think, is the big league for, for prospects this year. Besides Bedard, where do you think the next guy from the CHL is gonna be? In the yeah, probably yeah, probably be Yeager or Benson. I think those are the next two guys that are that are going to be in line there. So we, we might see a little bit of a run here in Western Hockey League players before we see a player from either the Q or the O picked. Yeah, for sure. Now that kind of translates into my next question: All this talent, the hype can be so real. We obviously seen it in Connor Bedard. And he has to live up to the expectation to be the next Crosby, to the, be the next McDavid. In your mind, what is the reason why some of these star players didn't end up panning out in the National Hockey League? Yeah, I think there's a there's a number of reasons. I mean, character is probably one. Sometimes NHL teams get more excited about skill than they do character. I tend to lean a little bit of a, in a different fashion than that. I'd rather have more of a balance of the both as opposed to someone who might be of of great skill set, but of low character, I'd rather see more of a balance of the two that has something to do with it. And quite frankly, it's, it's just hard to predict who knows what's happening in people's lives, whether it be away from the rink, whether there's some sort of uh, mental health issue, whether there's some sort of addiction issue, or really there are often times when quite frankly, teams just make mistakes and their projection of a player at 18 years old, isn't never meets that expectation or never gets to that level. Maybe the player just isn't quite as good enough as he was when you projected him at, at that, uh, at that level. So I think there's a number of things that go into, you know, making a a player successful or not. Um, But it's incumbent upon both the team and the player that once the players pick to support them in a way that's going to maximize their potential. And I don't think all teams do a great job of that. Yeah, for sure. And obviously, speaking more on the Bedard topic, he's an exceptional player and showed even more of that at the last World Juniors that just passed. Looking at Connor's game, this is a tough question to ask. Where do you think he can improve? So face-offs would be one area. If you're going to play down the middle of the ice as a smaller guy, you better have that one of two things, that, that speed element or the ability to win face-offs. And, and I don't have an issue with Connor working on that part of the game. He may, at the next level, be suited, better suited to play play the wing. That's still to be determined. I think his 
you know, defensive play and play away from the puck can improve in just about everybody's game. Connor's no different than that. Um, and, and so those are things that John Paddock has helped him develop, but still a ways to go in that regard. I mean, I think mm-hmm. NHL players today that have been in the league for three, four, five years are still working on that part of the game. In terms of that just crazy dynamic ability to produce offense, though, it's so elite that as, as a team, you'd be willing to sit, be a little bit more lenient in some of the areas of the game if you know you're yeah. getting you know, that one elite element. Yeah, for sure. And translating into your personal life, um, your job, you talked about you're at World Junior, 14 Memorial Cups. Do you think you have a special core memory that just makes you always want to share when you're around people? My first Memorial Cup was really cool. I, I, you know, I, I'd done junior hockey games going back to the 90s locally and on Rogers Cable, and that was a that was a blast. It was an amazing learning experience. I worked with so many really great people, and a lot of them were, were just volunteers. And so when it when I ended up with a full-time contract with, with Sportsnet, Moncton 2006 was my first Memorial Cup. And it was so special to me because I felt like I, I climbed a mountain to get there. Um, that was a really, really cool thing. And think from a baseball perspective back when I used to do Blue Jays games it was a it was a dream for me to be a baseball play-by-play commentator I had the opportunity to do that in 2004 with the Expos but it wasn't quite at that elite national level I did get the opportunity again in 2010 with the Blue Jays so calling games in Fenway and Yankee Stadium and at the Rogers Center was was really really super cool it helped me realize the dream but it also helped me realize that, that probably wasn't going to be my path moving forward I just wasn't really good at it. So I tend to think less about the baseball memories because that's long been gone as part of my repertoire and think about to the 06 Memorial Cup in Moncton, just how, how cool it was to see people engage in it. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, that year was Patrick Waugh, Dick Todd, um, Don Hay, and um, who else was the other coach? We, and, and uh, uh, from Moncton was, was Ted, Ted Nolan. And so to think about all those legendary coaches in one place at one time was a really cool thing. Of course, 06 Quebec Ramparts, uh, Igor Radulov was the main guy under Patrick Waugh. They ended up winning it. And uh, that was my, my first really kind of neat national experience, I guess. For sure. So if someone walks up to you and they're like, hey, Sam, I'm trying to get in sports net. What do I need to do? What are you going to tell them? And what's the advice that you're going to give to them? So for me, I'm an older guy. I'm not really one of those content creator types, but I think that's a, that's a really good path forward. If you can differentiate yourself in the content creating business, then I think you have an opportunity to, to work at a national network, but you also have an opportunity to make a living of it on your own. Um, and you're, I don't know if you're at that point yet or moving towards that point, but yeah. you know, I could see it start to happen, right? I think the other part is I tell people all the time, you have to volunteer and volunteering for me at Rogers was honestly the greatest thing that ever happened because a, you had a a variety of roles, B you had a forum that um, allowed you to make mistakes, didn't want you to make them, but allowed you to make mistakes and learn from them and C you're getting reps doing what you want to do. So a lot of people think that their, their path forward to work in national network is, is, doing exactly that 
Oftentimes, though, that path takes a lot of curves to get there, and you have to accept what those curves being thrown at you are going to be and embrace them and take them on and make the best of them and then continue to move forward. So um, I think a lot of young people today, because of the accessibility to Internet, YouTube, content creation, Instagram, feel that the path is really easy to make it in national TV. I don't think the path is that easy, but yes. Yeah these new outlets, these new digital outlets, give you the opportunity to do it on your own. And I think, you know, Steve Dangle, I think um, I have so much respect for Steve Dangle at our network, who's really kind of been the master and, and the pioneer in that department in terms of blending his own personal stuff with national network TV. Um, And so um, I have a ton of respect for, for what Steve's been able to do in that space. And, and maybe he's a, you know, a pioneer for, for people, um, who come next to, to do that sort of thing. So um, content creation, volunteering would be probably two of the things that I'd point out. You were talking about how throughout your career, you're going to get so many curves thrown at you. In your personal experience, what's one big curve that has been thrown at you? In 2003, uh, I was working at the score. We had the Canadian Baseball League is a league that many people don't remember. And um, I was the play-by-play voice for those games and the league went south in a hurry um, and ended up not getting paid for my work in full. And so that was kind of like a a weird curveball because here I am thinking doing games on national TV, it's really going to blossom into something. And next thing you know, you're not getting paid because it was the league who was paying me, not necessarily uh, the score network, which which I was working at at the time. And so that was a, that was a big curveball, And I got a, a break next year when in 2004, when we got the Expos, but for the most part, they wanted games to be called off too. And for someone who doesn't have a ton of experience in the, in the field, it was really difficult to call games off too, but still found a way to kind of, kind of work through it and, and do it. Um, those would be kind of the two, the two biggest curveballs, I guess. And I, I think the, maybe the, you know, the most important one or the career defining one was when I was taken off Blue Jays broadcasts after the 2010 season. Yeah. I held a lot of uh, bitterness in my heart for that about for, about that for a long, long time and got over that. And, and the transition to ho- full time hockey after that um, was a bit of more of a slower progression because of my own personal feelings, uh, but fought through it. And, you know, and I and I feel like I'm in a, a real good space here and. Uh, working with Sportsnet and and doing lots of NHL stuff now. Well, Sam, thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing your experience to the listeners. You got it, buddy. I wish you the greatest successes. Keep up the good work, and uh, maybe we'll see you down the road. Everyone, that was Sam Cosentino in episode 50. Sign off for now if you want some merch. The link will be in my description. Use code HALTSY50 for free shipping on orders over $50.